Some people don't care, but and, and you get people to do it, which is what you know, get people to do it. But then you got to manage people. There's a lot of admin. Then you got to call it. Admin. You got to get the people who manage that stuff, and then then you're the hardest thing to manage is people. So mm. <laughs> yeah, you come back to that. But you know, there are ways. So we were we left off. The camera angle has changed for anyone who's watching these episodes. Yes, we left off. To refresh your memory, last weekend we we're talking about the slingshot principle was the last thing we finished on. Yep. This is probably like a similar idea one to lead in with, and you'd be familiar with it already. There's the Chinese farmer little fable, if you want to call it. I don't know if Alan Watts came up with it, but he's the it's his voice I always like listening to it in. Yep. So to refresh your memory, it's you know, he tells a story. I'll do my best accent. Yeah, there's this Chinese farmer in a village. And uh, how does it start? He loses a horse. And all the other villagers go, oh, that's terrible. You know, you lost your horse. And he says, maybe. <laughs> you know? And uh, next day the horse comes back and it's brought back seven other horses. All right. It found them in the wild. So they go, oh, that's so great. You know, your horse brought back more horses. And the Chinese farmer goes, maybe. Again. And then the, you know, next day the son, the, the farmer's son is trying to tame the horses and uh, falls over, breaks his arm or leg or something. And they go, oh my God, that's terrible. Your son broke his arm, the horses, you know, he can't work, you know, we're poor farmers. That's, that's really bad. And he says, maybe. And then the next day the army general comes in and tries to recruit people for the army and they can't take the son because the son's obviously got a broken whatever. And all the other young men in the village are taken away to war. And then the, the other farmers come back again. They say, you're so lucky. Your son is staying behind and doesn't have to go to war. And the Chinese farmer says, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alan Watts just finishes it. When I, when the, the clip of Alan Watts, he's like, you can't tell when something happens, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. You know, that is just a, a reality shattering idea. You can't tell when something happens, whether it's good or bad. Mm. And your mind will immediately run to the most elaborate examples, scenarios, situations to think, but what about this? What about that? I don't know if I'm getting, I think we're going to talk about this in the next, one of the next episodes on anti-fragility, but you know, Taleb has the example of like the Titanic probably saved more lives than it killed. The famous Titanic disaster, right? You know, for one thing, they... <laughs> It helped the careers of what's it called DiCaprio and Winslet and, that, yeah, and James Cameron, cool. you know, the fact yeah. that there's a disaster, they can create a story around it. That's not quite, but like, it's a warning, you know, it's a cautionary tale for other people who are creating big things, you know, like other, other boats and stuff. It probably does save more lives than it. No one wants to repeat such a stupid mistake. Yeah. So it probably saves more lives than it does. All the time these days you hear every argument seems to go, seems to resort to Hitler and the Holocaust somehow when you're trying to prove a point. Mm. I mean, it's been so culturally like embedded, but like, oh, you, it's, this is heading down that path again. This huge, these huge tragedies in history, they, they, ideally they wouldn't have happened, but if they do happen, they then serve as cautionary tales. I think it's more important though, personally, on like a micro level, when I say micro, like a day-to-day -day life situations. Yep. And, you know, I think I've used these examples over and over and over again in this series, but personal things like, you know, my real estate journey or things like that, you're, you're hoping for one thing to happen 
something else tends to happen and then you realize oh damn lucky yeah lucky i didn't get what i wanted absolutely lucky yeah. i failed but then how can you how can you keep calling that thing failure you have to like the, the definition of that word gets murky real murky for me so like an, a classic story from for mine and keen to hear any of yours that come to mind was like my honors year i was doing this psychology degree and you know as a, as a backup career path and love human nature and all that and understanding it but the study of it at university was painful to say the least and often interesting but often boring and I had to do you had to do honors to to get an actual psychology degree right mm-hmm. you, you can't just there's three years then an honors year and honors sounded terrible it's like a whole year of research which was like yeah that was the end of the world for me like i hate research well that's selling it so I, I got in had to do all this hard work get certain grades you have to get really high grades to get in managed to do that got accepted then two months later so mid-february and in australia the university year starts in like late february march for those who aren't aware as opposed to like september or whatever in the northern hemisphere you know i'm getting ready for this year of uni I'm having trouble selecting something. Long story short, the university says, oh, this technical problem is actually because we shouldn't have accepted you. Mm. You're you're short of a subject for this degree. I thought, bloody hell. You're kidding. It was Valentine's Day. I was like, this is the worst worst Valentine's Day. There's no love here. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it very clearly. I was raging. It was two weeks before semester started. So I I was a whole you know head of bother because i thought i've lost a whole year i had to replay the next year you can't start an honors year mid-year i had to do one subject of anything that's all i was short and then they 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 made they said no you have to do it again next year i sent them email after email anyway it seemed like the worst possible thing but in reality, Nick Abraham, a good friend of mine, had come back from Nepal, sorry, from, oh, sorry again, his first, one of his first stints over there after the Nepal earthquake. And he came back to Australia around the same time because something else that you might still think is quite bad, but his, his grandmother passed away, mm. which is quite sad, right? So he came home for that reason, there's the coffee machine. And at the same time, I was talking to him about Oh, like I'd love to help more, and and he he asked me to actually help him run it eventually, and I said yes because I had a bloody year off. <laughs> we went yeah. to Europe that year actually, mm. that was the year in twenty sixteen, so it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have had probably have haven't ha- wouldn't have happened if not for this university fuck up, which seemed like the end of the world. Think about the one goal you're working towards for years. Everything actually hinges on it in your current life plan and trajectory. So I put this in context, right? I'm not enjoying this degree. I'm doing it so I get it. So I've got this backup, you know, so I've ticked the box. All right. And yet it's so ironic that I'm not deeply intrinsically motivated to do this thing. Yet I've got so much, putting so much pressure onto it. It means so much in spite of that. And then that rug gets pulled from beneath my feet arguably quite cruelly yet it's the biggest gift i could have been given because from nepal you know as i've said many times to you many times on the podcast and various places reshaped my whole 
life. You know, Scott, who was a good friend of mine at the time, a good friend of ours at the time, he came involved and from the ground, ground up as well. That changed our friendship relationship. That changed the trajectory we headed. He credits that with him going into, you know, espresso and all that. He really credits a lot of that shift away from just the engineering career path to the Nepal experience because yeah. it's so mind-opening. Yeah. Met Gilly, mm-hmm. who's a great mentor and friend to both was of that us. in... At that time frame as that well. That was the Nepal project was the context for meeting Gilly. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So Gilly, for those who don't know, I talk about him a lot, but an older friend of ours, yeah, the other end of life as he calls it, <laughs> is very generously sharing his wisdom, humor, and time with us. <laughs> yes. And interesting perspectives on things. And being, wow, an immeasurably positive influence in, in my life and uh, I'm sure and your my, life too. 100%, yeah. And you know him through me yeah. and Scott, of yeah. course. And all this stuff, constant student, the real estate journey, for better or for worse, the relationships I have now, personal breakthroughs, different perspective. Like I, I've really built so much of what I do on the basis of the Nepal experience, right? It's had a very huge kind of non-linear impact on everything I do back here now, my value system, everything. For I was, I was 20 years old, 21 at the time. So... You start to look at this honors thing, this mix-up, very differently. The challenge is when when you're there and you get the rejection, you don't see all that stuff. This is the thousand doors moment. It lies hidden. Mm. You're, you're, you're looking at you're looking at a red light, and and if and and you'd pinned everything on it. You'd pinned everything on that light being green, and if it was red, you were you were you were doomed. But that's a. a bad way to play reality because that's not reality reality is as they say one door closes another door opens Mm. that's not my invention right that's just that cliche and it's always happening it's always happening you you don't know you don't know the implications are the more and more that happens to you and you look back and you realize it you just, you, you can't hold goals with that intensity anymore. Right? And I don't want to speak for you. This is why the whole rigid goal setting is the dumbest possible thing. Everyone has the assumption that the goals they have, if you get too attached to them, it's really like, it's a very foolish thing to do. Because if I had gotten into the honors year, I don't know what other pathway would have materialized, but this, this one which is a lovely little reality, that just wouldn't have happened. Mm. But people are pinning everything on, you know, I want to get whatever it is. I don't know if it's a mortgage. I don't know if it's a promotion. I don't know if it's a, this person I love or that person. I, anything you can pin your hat pin your hat on, say, this is the thing I want. This is the thing I want. By nature, whatever it is, doesn't matter how good you think it really is. It's It's always stupid to get mm. attached to it by nature because you don't know people are good at uh, we have a lot of these stories around this bad thing happened but look how it ended up in the end everything happened for a reason what we're not good at which i want to shine more light on is when people get what they want when the good thing happens but it might not have been actually the best thing <laughs> you know i think of like a simple example is that the, the child who wants every new toy and the parent you know gives it to them and you know they get what they want, but they become spoiled overall. So it, it, it seems good at the time, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So we're, re- we're way worse at doing that. 
I got what I wanted or a good thing happened. Not, not that you have to like, you know, like it's like someone reaches out, says something nice. You're like, Ooh, but is this the Chinese farmer? Maybe this isn't good that they, I'm not <laughs> like, you still want to enjoy, enjoy things. But I think on the level of like goals and what you think is important, what you think is going to move you forward, what you think is an achievement and all that. It just, I don't know, it becomes more smoke to me. It's hard mm. to know what's actually going on. I know that's, 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 you know, my riff on that. I don't know if you have an example. I have plenty of examples. Yeah, I any, mean, any come to mind easily? Pretty much everything that I, a lot of the worst things, the quote unquote, yeah, worst things that have happened or seemed like they were the worst at the time tended to be, you know, sort of one of the, one of the best things longer term. I can think of a recent example. I had a, what would you call it? I had a painful experience at a Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> where I don't think I've talked have I talked about it on the podcast? Do you remember? Probably not. Probably not. Not if it's the one I'm thinking of. No. Yeah, okay. So it's like a classic go to a Christmas party, drink way too much, and then essentially, you know, everyone wakes up hungover sometimes and things like that, but this time was a little bit different where it went to an sort of another level of bad nothing real nothing terrible happened in in hindsight mm. but it seemed like it was worse than just a big hangover if that makes sense yeah yeah so that happened some poor things with my health happened for about a week or yeah. so yeah and then you know i made the decision not to drink for a like for a year yeah it's been about nine months now you're getting there i'm getting there and at the time, it just seemed like the wor- like the worst thing, yeah. but yeah, just not the act of not drinking has changed my perspective yeah. in a massive, in yeah. a massive way. Yeah. So it's probably the best. So how's it felt not drinking? Like there's not a there's not obviously initially your brain doesn't have the big uptick yeah. in positive emotion that yeah. you're used to yeah. on the weekends, for example, because yeah. you become so accustomed to. Yeah. That. going out on yeah. friday or a celebration yeah. normally calls to have a big night yeah if that makes sense so it was a little bit like you you fear of missing out a little bit yeah. in the initial phases but yeah. overall once you get through those call it a craving yeah. some form yeah. of craving experience yeah. things are just a lot more level mm. but then after after a certain amount of time like three four months you start to just see things a little bit differently you start to you start to not value the same sort of experience you become a little bit more i don't know because one of the things this is probably you know there's a completely separate conversation about this but one of the tendencies i had was to you know because partying and drinking is so socially acceptable mm. whenever something was happening that i was like stressful you, mm. you could always sort of message someone and say let's go let's yeah. go out or yeah. you could always distract yourself yeah when you don't have that option you're forced to really think about okay what's going on in my life mm. why am i feeling this way mm. you have to just sit in it mm-hmm. right you can't just go out and then yeah do all those sorts of things push it, push it down. so it's a very yeah you can't just push it down you have to just sort of face it a little bit and it's really not fun at first but you get better at it as time goes on and it was always something to add a little bit more context it 
leading up to this called big bang event mm. it was always something i really wanted to do mm. which is stop drinking but mm. i would always like you know two weeks a month and then it's mm. like oh and you would always lose sight of why you were doing it because sort of you en- mm. you enjoy quote unquote enjoyed it mm-hmm. and you get th- it's like socially it just is acceptable like you're a bit of an out if you don't drink at all people are a bit like what's wrong with him <laughs> yeah anyway long story short a lot of positive things yeah many 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 positive things have come out of that yeah. really mm-hmm. seemingly terrible experience yeah yeah at the time at the time so it just takes things from being very black and white and turns them into a, a gray mm. well, that's that's probably the point of this chinese farmer parable or or fable or whatever you want to call it my my thought what I, the last thing that comes to mind on this topic because we also talked about the slingshot and you know they, they, there's, there's an overlap right yeah, yeah. slingshot's more about wh- why there is a strength chinese farmers about non-judgment of the things that are happening mm. right you don't know mm. right what seems great today could be bad tomorrow and vice versa and then that if 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 you accept that it then forces you to like ch- challenge how you think about how you're living and what you where you're looking for completion because the, the the trap is the the less mature way of finding completion tends to be conditional that is if good things happen i'll be happy <laughs> if bad things happen i won't be happy and i said this to one of the younger constant students once who's going through something it's like getting all miserable about this unfair situation i said well, you know, are we only going to be happy if good things happen to us? Hmm. <laughs> what if there's always bad circumstances in our lives? All right. Whatever that means. Are we just going to choose to sit in it? Hmm. Are we going to let conditions determine? Yeah. You, you go, well, what choice do you have? And then you go to something like that Invictus poem, which I think I'm assuming that's what, mode, you know, is a big motivation for nelson mandela otherwise i don't know what the movie was about but you know i'm i'm the whatever it is i always get it mixed up i'm the captain of my ship i'm the master of my soul or vice versa yeah vice versa master ship captain of my soul the idea that i'm not going to let circumstances detain me is the powerful thing Mm -hmm. because if you're going to wait for something good or bad to happen and that's going to determine the quality of your life and your level of happiness well you don't control that you don't control what happens. You can influence it, but you don't control it. And and we'll get into this in the next episode about control. And you also don't, you know, you don't know the things that you can't control. You don't know where they're leading you. Right? So it changes the, the like, I'm going to live this week and be excited because something good might happen. And you're forced to live a little, you're forced to live somewhere else. Which I think is that why the times in my life that have felt best, there's often a sensation of joy, which is probably a bit sporadic. Mm. But the underlying stable thing tends to be, Eckhart Tolle puts this really well, inner peace. Not this jubilation happiness thing that is often like what you think the goal is, but this just peaceful. Because mm. I think... Quite stable and ongoing, right? Because it's, yeah. irrespe- it's, it's irrespective of circumstances yeah right i think the misconception 
can be, oh, that's fantastic, Joe, but I'm not going to be happy when someone dies, for example. You know what I mean? Yeah. As in, that's what you're talking about, inner peace being a sense of, this is my assumption, it's a sense of you, you know, you're feeling certain emotions, but ultimately you can still find a, you know. Let's talk about that one. This is quite deep for people, but, you know, controversial opinion. Anthony DeMello talks about how our reactions to death, even of loved ones, is, is programmed and not a very largely nonsensical, right? I'm not hoping for anyone I currently love to die. <laughs> Thanks but, for clarifying. Yeah, right. But I'm accepting of the reality. I have cousins who, not close to me, but they died of cancer, you know, young. Like one was just finished HSC, I think. Another was, I think the age we are now. I think he died. He was about four years older than me. I didn't really have a relationship with him, but I saw the impact on family and everything like that. And, uh, you know, his mother, my mum saw her not long ago. She talked about how it's made her appreciate. She's sad to not have her son, but talked about how it's forced her to appreciate life. My grandfather, Joe Weeby Sr., died at the age of 55. My dad turned 55 this year. I'm my dad's age, 27, when his dad died, 55. Hmm. My dad said his dad dying, his dad was a bit of a, I think, lovely man, but a bit of a workaholic. And he said that his dad dying taught him that life was short. He made sure when we were growing up that he didn't just make lots of money, that he spent a lot of time with us, which mum also, I think, takes credit for beating him over the head about too. Even though he's, he'll get, got to remember the lovely women in our lives who often play a less visible role, mm. which has often been the pattern throughout history. You know, why are we sad when someone dies? Are we sad for them? We don't know what their experience is after they've expired. I think we're sad for us. We're sad for what we've lost. And I think the thing about love is that if you really love someone, you can, you're not attached to them. That is, I don't need you. Friendship is the best example to anchor this in rather than family or, or romantic, right? A friend is someone you might not talk to for a year, but you have no doubts about the friendship. Mm. You know what I mean? There's no conditions. <laughs> when we talk about unconditional love. You don't have to be here for me to love you. You don't have to talk to me for me to love you. Right? Sometimes people who love each other need to like be apart. <laughs> like, and so what's the thing? We didn't have more time with them. How well did we use the time we were given? How much time is enough? You know what I mean? How, how can we be, are we entitled to amount of time with people? How can we be entitled to something? Now, I think about this. I, had, I can't talk about this much publicly. But I had, a, I had a situation that rattled me when I was younger, right? And it was a kind of romantic style situation, to be honest. And I thought I was at the start of a, a relationship. I thought I was at the f- start of my first like serious romantic relationship. And then something happened where the, the, the girl, you know, was kind of yanked out of well, I didn't die or anything like that, but, but yanked out, right? And I, I felt like I'd been cheated. <laughs> okay? It was like going well, going well, bang, gone, just before it began. 
and it rattled me because I placed all this. Oh, finally, finally, right? Yeah. And you know, to be honest with you, years later, I look back and I thought, I'm not entitled to anything. Even if I was, what point is there carrying around that entitlement? Who do you know that's entitled that you like? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like anyone who isn't. And I realized, what if instead of being ungrateful that I didn't get months, years of whatever, what if I was grateful for the couple of times I did get to spend with that person where I had fun and had a good time? Mm. I could be grateful for what I did have, even if it was two or three, a dinner and whatever. And not take it for granted and treat every it's like treating every time you see someone like your mom your boyfriend your girlfriend your your, your, your best friend or whatever your boss whoever the person you like at work if you treat every occasion you see them like an additional gift it's easy to get locked in like my parents are going to live till 85 90 and i'm entitled to that because that's some sort of average what's that based in <laughs> Even if it is average, it's not guaranteed. And even if it is average, you're not entitled to it. And you know, what if you treat every time you see them like it's just another gift? You know? And it, in a not too dramatic way, every time you see someone might be the last time you see them. Right? And if every time, if today's the last time we ever saw each other, it could be, right? I could go drive off and, Sorry, or I could funny. just drink myself to a stupid tonight and, you know, pass out. It's an incredibly okay, low probability. But what would we do, you know? What would we ideally do if this was the last time we were ever talking? Would it be a lot of crying and wailing and thing? Or would we just do exactly what we're doing right now? Can we do exactly to, to, the same? To, to some extent, right? Mm. And if you treat every occasion you see someone... Or everything you get like a day at work like a, a gift you know what point is there complaining about a lack of time even if someone died young the cousin i'm talking about who died had a five-month-old daughter all right so that girl's growing up without a father but i see on instagram his two younger brothers her uncles one of his cousins always you know going over there spend time with her his his mum, her grandmother always going over spent i don't know much about their life situation so everyone would say it's a it's a tragedy that girl growing up without a father but i saw and i didn't know this guy but i saw pictures of him and i think he got very religious towards the end of his life cancer and just so grateful to have five months you could just see the smile on his face in a hospital bed holding his his daughter you know what i mean so we have this expression gone too soon It's interesting, you know, like it can only be too soon if we feel entitled. And no one's entitled to a gift. That's what makes it a gift. The nature of a gift is that it's freely given. It's unconditional. And so that it really, you really have to ask the question around, you know, so the worst, you know, what's the worst, worst thing that could happen? You know, say my, something were touch wood to happen to my parents soon, right? I can't control it. And as DeMello says, why get upset about it? <laughs> what does that add? Mm. 
yes, I would love to hang out with so-and-so more and blah, blah, blah. And I, there's people I miss in my life that don't talk to me. Right? I would love to pick up the phone and be able to call them right now, but the, they've been, I've been blocked by some people. <laughs> right? Being honest. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to them. You know what I mean? I'd love to make peace. But I don't have... The option is not there at the moment. Hmm. So what value is there being upset? That doesn't change anything. It only makes sense when you're conditioned to react that way. Yep. And most people are. In the Lebanese church, you know, this this is getting very controversial now, but when my grandfather died, the other grandfather, my grandmother was white. They all wear black. The what? The ethnics, you know, like the Middle East and it's very this... You wear black and it's misery, misery, misery. You have to be miserable. You have to wear black as a sign of respect that you've lost someone. And, you know, they, they were wailing over my grandfather's coffin. And I was just like, it felt bullshit. Mm. <laughs> and later, someone told off my mum for not crying hard enough at the funeral. It was her dad. You know what I mean? The, I, I, get what, I get that this is a controversial, but it's hard to appreciate how conditioned our response to death is. And if you go to Eastern cultures, if you go to tribal cultures, death has a very different character. Very different character. Death becomes more and more scary the more and more we become attached to life. We've talked about this before. So this is, I'm glad you brought it up because if you want to take the Chinese farmer principle, you take it to the extreme. Talk about the things everyone thinks is unspeakable, wouldn't question that it's bad. I don't know if it's good, but I don't think it's bad. In fact, calling something good or bad is judgment, and judgment doesn't tend to have many advantages when you absolutely label something. And I don't think of death as like this thing that can upset my life at the moment. I would like to live rather as if I would not regret if something happened to someone I love right now. Mm. Because I didn't undervalue or undermine the relationship. And I suspect you'd be much more upset and you'd be much more gone too soon the less you were able to feel that way about your relationships. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, I automatically think of just being miserable when, for yeah. example, you know, when you, if your parents, something just happened to your parents, yeah. you would... You would sort of celebrate yeah. their lives, but at yeah. the same time, like you said, those conditioned responses yeah. you can't really get away from is the yeah. only thing I would just say uh, is that where it becomes murky. Like, for example, someone's close to you passed away, you're just going to be shattered regardless. Yeah, and so you've got to be careful with this because there's an unhealthy thing, what people think stoicism is, which is they think you're a rock with no emotion. They go... Yeah. My dad died. That's all right. I'm going back to work this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they often will think I'm talking about when I'm saying this. Because we have this thing when someone introduces a new idea, we first think of it as a black and white. And so we put them in the bucket of the opposite. And that's why we always like, you stick up for someone and they think, oh, so you're saying that all, you know, violence is good. It's like, no, no, no. I'm saying this was a specific situation where there's, anyway, what is it? You have reactions, right? Because you're human. You have emotions. You feel them. But you do not let them command you. You experience them. You give them air. Mm. And everyone has different... Like you, you let them be. I'm not afraid to, for example, cry. 
right? Something that happened. I'm not someone who's afraid to cry. Mm. I'm not afraid to cry on the podcast, but I'm not going to cry to create a very good YouTube thumbnail. That's Look, the extreme. You're seeing me being vulnerable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Look how vulnerable Joe is. I, I, you know, I'd be emotional. Right? Yeah. I'd be teary, but it'd yeah. be bittersweet. You know what I mean, it's, yep. it's it's the separate, and you kind of find that with awareness, with the Chinese farmer stuff, you just come back into equilibrium quite fast because your underlying thing is inner peace and acceptance and gratitude. Mm. Right? Mm. As they say, don't cry it's over because it's over. Smile because it happened. If the honest thing happened to me again today, I'd still be initial. Like the reaction would be bloody hell. But then the ideal is that that it doesn't derail that much of your time you don't spend weeks brooding on it you don't start having angry thoughts like constantly constantly and you can't stop them right yeah. you can't control the rage but like the rea natural reaction of rage will probably still be there mm. right but what what you know you i guess the apex is like we call it full dumbledore mode or something or full gilly where Maybe at some point you experience that stuff, but it might not even physically manifest itself, right? So you can't tell from looking at someone. But there's a difference between someone who's blocking their emotions and someone who's able to express their emotions and feel them, but quite internally. And he won't mind me saying this, but what confronted the shit out of me was when Gilly lost his wife two years ago of 50 years. 50 years, right? So this is a man now living alone, widow, right? And, you know, I used to get upset about a girl because I was attached. I used to get upset about someone I'd seen on a couple of dates and then it fell apart, right? You know, and that would get me really upset. This guy lost his wife for 50 years and he was still, you know, he wasn't like dancing in the street, but he was still himself. He was able to, he would talk about it it wasn't don't ever mention Kathy. Mm. He still talks about her. Yeah. But it didn't it didn't destroy him. And he he, he said to me, because people kept asking him, How are you? How are you? He goes, I don't know how to respond. He goes, I feel like I've got to say I'm doing bad, just to like, you know, it's like mm. what what's expected and that there's something wrong if I don't say I'm and he was he was still quite finding the beauty in life. He's very good at that. He is. And there's no downside to that approach and yeah. it's not ignorant it's not denying like he will still talk about it mm. still feel the but he also laughs and he goes now i get the good couch <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i remember that yeah and so that's the, the the chinese farmer you get you know that, that last story i was going to mention was that i was listening to that shia labeouf mm. so that the hollywood actor talking to bishop baron how he'd fallen off the wagon a bit, the classic Hollywood, you know, star losing, losing their shit, you know, mentally and everything and not wanting to be alive anymore. And he's trying to get back in the Hollywood game. No one will touch him. And then there's this role for this old monk comes up and someone offers it to him and he just, he's jumping at it. He's going, yes. He's like, this is how I can get my career back into Hollywood. And they go, all right, we'll go up to the mountain and start like find a, a, a monastery or whatever and go start, you know, Practicing. researching mm. right and then he goes there he goes my ego is what got me there but when i got there i got something even greater than just the role because obviously he was then 
practicing spiritually. Yeah, yeah. And this is not me trying to advertise Catholicism. This is what his experience was that led yeah. him to what this deeper place that we talk about. Yep. Um, and that's the, probably the final thing. And it's to me, I come back to that thousand doors idea. We recapped a couple episodes ago is that often the universe with its cunning ways and its sense of humor will use what it takes to get you in the room, but often have a different intention than the following through of that hook. Mm. You know what I mean? It'll, yeah. it'll use something to get you there. And then, all right, ego will get him in. Spirituality won't get him up there. But now that he's there, here's spirituality. Mm. Because you're probably meant to do this next. <laughs> if you so choose. If you're going to open, keep opening that door. That's that's what the journey feels like yeah. to me. We laugh at some of the old... You and I both, like everyone else who will ever listen to this, will have had these kind of... These, these kind of... Oh, interesting goals and objectives, you know, at times. Oh, yeah, going, I've going still got t- them written you, down. You joke about Tony Robbins. I'll talk about, you know, the changing the world, like, obsession and the savior oh, complex. Yeah. And I'll talk about things like that and, and fear. And we'll all have those, but not to forget that it's not that it's good to have those things, right? Like, you're, you're too desperate to find some sort of purpose or whatever. I'm not advertising that. But it's part of being human that when you go down that path, the universe, whatever, whatever's going on, will guide you to help you learn from it and will use it to its advantage. It'll use it to try and bring you back in a different way and then share with others, hopefully, the lessons from your experience. You know what I mean? So this is the, the, the Chinese farmer to me, non-judgment. And because you can't judge, you've got to find something else other than circumstances to mm. try and pin your hat on, to try and make the focus. And then the focus is then just that beautiful baseline. It's just be. Mm. Just be. So that's that, that'll wrap that idea up unless you have any... No. I don't know if it was dense enough for people. Do you think that was dense um, enough? That's pretty, pretty maybe, basic. Maybe we'll, go, maybe we'll go deeper for the next yeah. one. Yeah. Make it a bit more intense. Yeah, thanks. We'll a bit more emotion. A bit more existentially weighted. Well, I'm trying to think of something more intense than talking about death, death, <laughs> and death, death not, in the family. That's not miserable. Uh, that's that's pretty lightweight. That's there, pretty Joe. light. Ooh, okay, we'll see what mm. we can dish up. Next, yeah. we're going to talk about another Alan Watts thing, but the 75 years of time dream. I don't know if you remember that one, but that, that's pretty cool about control, mm. about if you could control things. So we'll do that in the next episode.